0: I want to just say something to you really important before we pray. I want you to listen to these words from devotional writer Oswald Chambers, who said these powerful words. Listen to this. He said, leave the broken, irreversible past in God's hands and step out into the invincible future with him. Listen to those words again. That broken, irreversible past that you can't fix, that you can't have enough of regret and guilt and even condemnation to fix, he said step out, and that's what we're gonna begin to go into today, into the invincible future with him. Always remember, you are not defined by your past, but you can be prepared by your past. That past can prepare you for what God is wanting to do inside of your life and for what he has in your future. And I want to believe for that because the issue is this, keep this in mind. We are not, we are not products, though we are maybe products of our past, but with Jesus, we're never prisoners of our past. Let me say that again. We may be products, but when we have Jesus, we're never a prisoner. He sets us free. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to do today. God, we live in a world that wants to hold us and even define us by our past. But I thank you today that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So God, would you today with all of us, with, with really in a sense, with broken, irreversible past mistakes, things that we can't go back and correct. God, I just ask you right now that you today would bring hope to people. As we see through your scripture, what you do when we blow it, when we feel like we've messed up, and God, I'm going to ask you today that you would just become real, right, right, right through technology, become real. Those that are listening in the UK, those that are listening right now in the Philippines, those that are listening right now in Ghana and Nigeria, those that are right now in Colombia, right now, God, I'm believing for those in Mexico, you're going to set people free today from their past. Though a product, never a prisoner. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's believe for God to do something really special today. Do you know before COVID made us all wear protective masks, there was a place that was starting to gain notoriety and even attention um, asking all of the people that would enter in for the next 45 minutes, uh, wear protective masks. So not only protective masks, but even gloves and even chest protectors. It's very interesting. It was called, you ready for this? The Rage Room. And it was becoming the rage around the United States. What literally they would do is take angry people, give them bats and golf clubs. Say you have 45 minutes just to start hitting things in a room with your protective mask, protective gear for $20 for 45 minutes. They would just put things in there. In fact, they would even let you bring stuff from that you wanted just to bust up. They said they would have office people coming in with laptops and telephones and cell phones and just start crushing it. Feeling like this will be the release, this will be the place that they can begin to get rid of the anger that, re, that begins to literally just kind of um, is, is inside of them. It's amazing. I was reading today what we're facing with anger from every standpoint. There's not only road rage, but they talk about parking rage and even boat rage, fishing rage, pedestrian rage. There's jogger rage, bike rage, cell phone rage, trucker rage. I was reading there's grocery cart rage. They just added a new one called um, church pew rage. When somebody sits, well, that's done with because you can't sit in the church pew today unless you're six feet apart. We are living in a time where this whole country seems to be in a rage room today. It just seems that there's anger that's brewing all around us in in every major city. It seems that anger is the number one emotion of the day. Last night, I was praying for you and praying for our service. And around eight o'clock last night, I just felt that I was to walk the city and just to pray over New York City, which is the epicenter of of the pandemic. And, and from, the, from the protests and, and some of the, uh, uh, really the deaths that we have, we have seen here during COVID-19, there is this rage that seems to be here. And I'm telling you, as I walked the city last night and started to pray, I saw it. I saw it in people. I was walking by one store and I watched the store owner come over and speak to a homeless man and literally threaten his life and say, if I catch you here one more time. I mean, I watched it in his eyes. He says, I will kill you. So he said, I will kill you. I thought, where, where is this coming from? This anger, this rage that seems to be brewing in our country. What makes anger so elusive and so incredibly dangerous is that it flares up suddenly, it's powerfully and even irrationally. It it, it takes no counsel for the future and it takes no consideration of even personal safety or even repercussions. Let me just say this, listen to this, anger manages everything badly. Anger manages everything badly. In fact, anger is never many times without a reason, but seldom with a good reason. And this is what makes it incredible. C.S. Lewis was so right when he says, anger makes you smaller while forgiveness forces you to grow beyond what you were. See, this is, this is such an important word for us even as a country and even for us as Christians. Anger does make us smaller. but it's But as Christians, especially believers, it is forgiveness that is pushing us beyond the bounds. I think this is so important. When Emily was leading us, in that final song called Cornerstone and reminding us that Christ is that anchor within the veil. Listen, listen to what Hebrews 6, 8, 6, 19 says, because it speaks about that, that, that anchor within the veil. It says this in Hebrews 6.19, we have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us and where he is now and forever. Do you know what the the apostle was saying there? He says, when God is your anchor, we find ourselves connected to someone immovable immovable. If God, if we are connected to God, there is nothing that can begin to detach us from he was, is is immovable. See, we have to remember that our movement is based on his movement. And if he's not going anywhere, then hallelujah, neither are you. That's why we have to be connected to him. When we're connected to circumstance, when we're connected to emotion, when we're connected to society, politically um, or or what's happening even pandemically, we will find ourselves moving all over the map. But when we're connected inside that veil, when we're anchored to Jesus, because he's immovable, we find ourselves becoming immovable. And there may be some moments where there is some give on the line, a little slack on the line, but you're not going anywhere if you're connected to him. And that's why one of, the, one of those things that can get us drifting, and, and you heard it from Pastor Patrick, that, that anger is one of those things, frustration is one of those things that can try to put tension on the line, and we have to remember that we're anchored to him. But here's the part I want you to remember. Think about that anger issue. We may lose it. But we will not lose him because we are anchored to him. There be moments that we may lose it, but we won't lose him because we are anchored to him. You know, I was reading the story of the classical maestro uh, Toscanini, who is well known for his ferocious temper. In fact, um, he was he was he was so he was such he was so precise in guiding his the, the, the orchestra that when members of the orchestra played badly, he would pick up anything in sight and hurl it to the floor. In fact, it's said that during one of the rehearsals, a flat note caused the genius to grab his valuable watch right off his wrist, pulled it off, and smashed it on the floor. Shortly afterwards, he received from his devoted musicians a luxurious velvet box. Um, with two watches in it, a beautiful, expensive watch and a very cheap one. And on the cheap one was inscribed for rehearsals only is what he put in there. See, see, rage rooms and extra watches don't fix something that's on the inside. Let me say that again. You can spend the $20 for a rage room or buy two watches, but it can't fix what's literally on the inside. And really, uh, if, I, if I thought it through, we don't need an outlet to release it. We need a drain to get rid of it. We don't just need an outlet. We need a drain. We need God to even step in. Let, let me ask you a question today. H- have, you, have you ever just lost it as a born-again Christian? Have you ever just, it, it just you, you just couldn't hold it in anymore? I, I mean, your temper. Words come out that you didn't intend. Maybe words that you haven't used for a very long time have come out. Faces red, hands flailing, eyes piercing. My, my Italian father, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, um, who eventually became and uh, worked for the NYPD, he had a saying, um, I don't know if he got it from his father, from Italy, but he had a saying, whenever we as his, uh, uh, the children were pushing it around, when I say pushing it, um, where he was about to lose it um, because of our behavior, he would always use the same phrase. He would always say these words, the bag is getting full. The bag is getting full. We knew at that point um, that our dad could lose it at that point. And it was at that moment we knew when we heard those words, we were to bring it down a notch. But have you ever just got so full that you couldn't take it anymore? That you lost it? it words came out. Maybe even, maybe even, like I said, words that you've never used. Things being said that no one would know that if they didn't know you, they wouldn't even know that you're a Christian if they heard you. It, it reminds you of what used to be, uh, what, of what you used to be and you all of a sudden became scared and going, where did that residue come from? What was, what was it that brought that out of me? I've heard stories this last week of people angry. I, I've, from, from angry with, with authorities, angry with each other, even people are that, that I've been praying for that have been angry with God. I want you to listen to me for a second. Because listening to those stories from injustices around the country, to people even angry with a governor of your state because he won't change the phase number for you or gym won't be opened up to people that have lost someone or something and have been angry with God. I, I want you to listen just as a side note for a second because I think this is important. Let me tell you when people get angry with God, people get angry with God, jot this down, when either we don't get something we want or we get something we don't expect. So many times I've watched people get angry with God when we get something we don't want, we don't get something we want. I've been asking for this or we get something we don't expect. And all of a sudden, that becomes a moment I've watched people lose it. Lose it against God, against people, against authorities. And all of a sudden, it becomes a rage room in our country. I mean, think of it. This kind of stuff would seem to happen maybe a non-Christians or even maybe a new Christian. But can a mature Christian, can the bag get so full with some of us that we actually lose it? I mean, think of Pastor Patrick's story today of riding behind somebody and all of a sudden this, this get, getting frustrated, maybe even angry. I mean, it can hit a mature, it can hit us as pastors. Let, let, me, let me take it one step further. What about a super Christian? Can, can a super Christian absolutely lose it? B- big time believers. How about even Paul the apostle? And I want to just tell you, absolutely. And the book of Acts shows it. The book of Acts, when I saw Paul lose it and what God did after that, I realized you may lose it, but you don't lose him. That we may fail, but God never fails and never fails us. I want to read this passage to you. This is so powerful and so encouraged me. Let me read this to you. It said when the Paul was standing before the council, the Sanhedrin, he is speaking to them while he's in custody and says, brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. Paul is, Paul is on a roll speaking. So- sounds like a preacher. And then the high priest, Ananias, commanded those standing beside him, listen to this, to strike him on the mouth. I think the bag is about to get full. Here it is. And Paul said, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. <gasps> That's the apostle Paul. This, what happened to the book of Romans and Philippians and all this other whitewashed wall? I'll explain that in a second. The talk, talk about losing it. Something popped out that he didn't expect. You sit here, try and, try, and, try, me according to the law and in violation of the law, order me to be struck. But the bystanders, doesn't even have a name, said, do you revile God's high, high priest? And all of a sudden, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest. And then he goes right to the word, for it is written, you shall not speak evil. This is, this is his failure. You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Parentheses, even when you get struck in the mouth, you shouldn't call people names. But think for just a moment. It, it it may not read whitewashed wall as bad as it sounds, but can I just tell you today, it was bad. It was really bad. Paul gets hit in the face for something that is that that he says, that his conscience is clear before God, and it seemed to have a sense when he said that, a sense of sarcasm, at least to the people standing around him. And As he's standing before the Sanhedrin, he has struck in the mouth and Paul loses it. He calls them a name. It It wouldn't seem like that big of a deal to us, but when you called someone a whitewashed wall, you're saying something that you look good on the outside, but on the inside, it really stinks. That something is dying on the inside. He says, you dressed up the outside with your robes, but inside, it's gross inside there. They all knew what Paul meant. They all knew what he, what he meant when he said those words. It, it, was, it was a common insult. It was like a curse word to call someone and they all knew what it was. Literally, you were saying to them, you stink, this stinks. You're a whitewashed wall. Where, where did that come from, Paul? What? The, the Apostle Paul, where did that come from? Well, Jesus told us. See, the intense situation didn't create it. The intense situation revealed it. Let me say that again. What he was involved with didn't create that. It just revealed it. In fact, Matthew 15, 18 says it like this. What comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. It's from the heart that, we, that, that, that it says we vomit up evil arguments, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, lies, and even cursing can even come out. You know, I loved this picture that C.S. Lewis begins to tell us of where that stuff comes from. And he, he said he said it so prolifically when he said these words. He said, listen, listen to this. He says, surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. Now, now follow through with this thought. He said, surely what pops out before the man has time to put a disguise on a disguise is the truth. And then he gives this illustration. He said that there are rats in a cellar. You're most likely to see them if you go in suddenly. But the suddenness, he says, doesn't create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. And in the same way, the suddenness of the provocation doesn't make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I already am. Listen, the rats are always there in the cellar. Apparently, the rats of resentment and vindictiveness are always in the cellar of my soul. What happened in Acts 23, the rats got got exposed. The lights went on suddenly. A slap across the face revealed something that was in his heart. It can happen to any one of us. It can happen whether it's a homeless man parked outside an establishment, a slow car in front of us. It could be it could be the attitude of a coworker, and something there in every one of us, starting with me. There could be rats in the cellar that 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 aren't created by the suddenness, just exposed by the suddenness. In fact. How did it happen? Did, did that moment just literally expose that in Paul? Let me tell you about Paul's week before we go hard on him. And it's not an excuse, but I, but I want to just show you what even a week can do. One week can happen in Paul's life. And, and I want to read, read through what, what went on that leads us to the situation in Acts 23. Listen to this. So far this week, Paul has been beaten by a mob, Acts 21, 27 through 32. He's been bound in chains, 21, 33. Had his death demanded by a group of zealous Jews in 22, 1 through 22. Then came with the hair's breadth of being scourged, 22 through 23, 23 through 29. Now he wants to know for certain why he'd been accused by the Jews having little sleep, food or physical care, he stands weary, bruised before the highest Jewish court, the Sanhedrin. And then all of a sudden the dam opens up. The, the week that Paul faced from accusation and beating from not knowing if he was going to live, the man that's standing before you isn't dressed in a suit. This is a man that's had a difficult week. This is the last two chapters that literally drove him to the brink, but something was there that God was wanting to get at. and Then we're going to see not only Paul losing it, but you're going to see that Paul didn't lose him, didn't lose Jesus in the midst of it. Controlling himself no longer, Paul suddenly pulls out, pours out this scalding stream of contempt directly at the accusers and the, and the Sanhedrin. In effect, when Paul calls the judge and the Sanhedrin stinking hypocrites, this was definitely more flesh than spirit or correction. It was all flesh. It just came out. The rats showed up. He realized his mistake when a an, an, a bystander in verses four and five starts to reveal it to him, and and and, and that can happen to anyone. And, and Paul, after this takes place, is thrown into jail. And something happens. Let me, let me say this. Um, God has opened up doors for Cindy and I in different places um, at times to preach and to share the gospel. And I've said this publicly and I'll, and I'll say it again. Um, Cindy, my wife, always, always has a veto power before I'll go anyplace before I'll, I'll, I'll say yes to any place. And even if she says, I feel good, but before that plane door closed, if I'm sitting on that plane and she calls me on my cell phone and says, I, I just feel, I'm not sure you're supposed to be there. I will, I will walk off that plane. She's only done it a couple times in the 20, 25 years we've been married that she just didn't feel good. Um, and the first time that it ever happened, I was supposed to speak at a conference in Chicago and she said, she goes, I don't, I don't feel like you're supposed to go. She says, because I want you to do something else. And I said, sure, and we were only married. Um, uh, it may have been a year at that time. And she goes, and she said this, she says, I don't want you to go to that conference. She says, I want you to go to my 10 year high school reunion. I'm going, what? I almost lost it. What a high school. And then I realized why she wanted, she said, you know why I want you to go. She says, when I was in high school, all those, all those students that I knew played, played sports with and student government, all those things. She said, they never knew me as a Christian. I want them to see me as a believer. I want them to see how, I mean, how can that's a, that was a good veto. That was a good veto. Um, and, and we went and I watched as Cindy and just show Jesus to, to, to those students 10 years later that she wanted to go back and do that. This was really the same thing that was happening to the apostle Paul. And he blew it. I want you to think about this because I, I wanna make it even worse right now. Not only did he say it, say what he did and lost it. It almost seems like he lost this opportunity. But let me, let me say something about Paul in the Sanhedrin. Do you understand that Paul and the Sanhedrin, that Paul served on that Sanhedrin for almost 20 years? These were the most religious leaders in town, and Paul was speaking in front of the men he knew before he was a Christian, before the road to Damascus, and lost it after he became a Christian. This was, in a sense, Paul's 10 year high school reunion. I get to see the men that I was part of sanctioning the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. And now they're going to see a man who's on the other side of the road of Damascus. And the man, and instead of seeing a changed man, they're seeing a man that lost it, calling people names. Can you imagine Paul in his cell that night, leaning back, whipping himself, thinking this? I had a once in a lifetime chance to preach the gospel, not only to the highest Jewish court in the land, but to the people that I served with, the people that knew me before Christ. And I blew it. How stupid it was for me to lose my temper. How stupid it was for me to show anger. The great apostle Paul, more like the great failure. Can you imagine Paul in his jail that night? Paul I could just think going, I've made a fool of myself before my peers. I've lost that opportunity to tell them how Jesus changed my life. Think, think what was going on in Paul's mind that night. God has to be mad. He has to be, in a sense, really angry with me. In fact, he needs, not me, hit, get hit by them. God needs to join the hitting party and hit me, slap me in the face. Think about it for a second. Surely God put me here uh, to touch the Jewish elite. And what do I do? I call them names. This is my chance, my 10 year, like Cindy's 10 year high school reunion, and I blow it. And that night in a prison cell, listen, listen carefully now. Everyone that's listening, listen carefully. That night in a prison cell, all throughout the book of Acts, angels were opening up prison cells angels were getting people up like, like Peter and opening up doors like in Acts 4. And in, and in Acts uh, chapter, chapter uh, 16, the apostle Paul experienced earthquakes and, and doors opening up. But that night, listen, there was no angel. No angel showed up. He didn't deserve one. I could think that was going on in his mind. He didn't deserve an angel. But I want to just say this to you. God is a God of mercy. He is such a good God. And no angel shows up that night. Who shows up that night? You ready for this? The Lord showed up that night. Paul didn't need an angel. Paul needed a friend that sticks closer than any brother. Folks, This is one of the most remarkable moments. Paul loses it, but doesn't lose him. God doesn't send an angel, but the Lord stands with him. Listen to verse 11. On the night, immediately following. Following what? Losing it. The Lord stood at his side. Hallelujah. I'm just going, God, you're amazing. The Lord stood at his side. And folks, red letters in the book of Acts. This is one of the rare moments after the gospels where these red letters show up. Take courage. This is Jesus speaking. Because you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem. So you're going to witness at Rome for me also. You know what's amazing to me? Is the Lord says nothing to him about the name calling. I would, I would imagine Jesus going like, Seriously? Whitewashed wall. I'm giving you like books of the Bible and you can't come up with any. Doesn't even say that. Doesn't talk to him about his failure. But did you see that verse? He talks to him about his future. Remember those Oswald Chambers words? Leave the broken, irreversible past in God's hands and step into the invincible future. Hallelujah with God. Paul hears invincible future words from Jesus himself. God stands at his side. After he fails, God speaks about Rome, not what just happened in verses one through five. On that night, immediately following the Lord, not an angel, not Gabriel, not Michael, the Lord, Jesus, the master stood at his side. Now that is one incredible God that we serve. God stands closest when we blow it worst. Let me say that again. God stands closest when we blow it the worst. I, I don't have plans to lose it, but I know it can happen. I know there are in all of us, starting with me, rats in the cellar. And suddenly it comes up. and Here's what I realize. Though my actions can be unpredictable, I'm thankful for a God who's very predictable. A God of mercy. What do you mean by that, Pastor Tim? He's merciful and kind. He's gracious and loving. He's an anchor when my actions are trying to drift me away. That anchor that Emily and the team sang, that Emily and Grant sang, my anchor holds within the veil. It, it, this this is the anchor verse. Listen to these words. This is why, this is why Paul has Jesus stand with him at night. I, I want you to see how important this is. Listen to these words. 2 Timothy 2.13 says this. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful because he cannot deny who he is. Do you understand? If we are unfaithful, lose it, get angry, blow it in front of the Sanhedrin, he is still faithful and shows up even at our worst moment. That's how amazing God is. I know there'll be days that I'm going to need the Lord to stand. I'm not going to need an angel. I'm going to need a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And this is not just about anger, it's about any flesh area that we can lose it on. But I need to use what's before me in this passage and realize that he's there even at my worst. I you parents know what this is. I, I remember just b- before COVID shut down schools uh, that I remember in the morning as we we're trying to get all of our kids out of the house and my son was at university, he three teenage girls that already told you about losing it. Three teenage girls trying to get them out on time so, there's, they, so they're not late for class. And I just remember one of them just moving slow or just really not listening. And I remember that moment overcorrecting one of them. And I snapped in a sense, I lost it. And I I knew it, I I lost it. And then I knew I was gonna have to, I was going back to my time in the word right after they left. And I knew at that moment, God just was right next to me and said, just call her. Call her and tell her you're sorry. I know she had her phone. And I remember calling that precious girl of mine up and just said, Dad, sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. It wasn't. It was just one of those moments where the rats seemed to come up. And just showed up at that, at that, at that time. I, I, I was reading a book by the San Diego pastor, David Jeremiah, who says this about anger. He says, remember this about anger. He said these four things. These are worth just jotting down. He says, one, don't nurse your anger. He says, think of all the angry speeches you devised and laid tossing and turning in your bed, wishing you would say it. Um, he says, we take it in, we build this nest and we begin fantasizing these speeches by nursing this anger. And and really what, what the challenge was, just stop it. Don't nurse this anger. Number two, he says, don't rehearse your anger. Not only don't nurse it, don't rehearse it. People love to tell their hurt story to each other, to people that can't even fix it And we're reminded in Psalm 142, 2 says, I spill out, David says, I spill out my complaints before him and spell out my troubles in detail before God, not to people, but to God. If you have to complain, get angry with God. Just, just talk to him about it. But he says, don't nurse it. Don't rehearse it. And he says, don't even converse about your anger. Usually, angry people can become sarcastic people. They just, there's a sarcasm that seems to come out of them, venting in sarcasm um, their anger to situations. They dress up their frustrations with a smirk and a smile, a joke that gets really close to the line when you start conversing. He says this He says, don't nurse it, don't rehearse it, don't converse it. And he says, and don't disperse your anger, making other people around you angry. With other people that never even touched them. And never even hurt them. Because when you disperse it. Then you have people getting offended for you. And now they're taking on your offense. And then he just throws in this last thing. He says but you need to reverse your anger. Reverse it. And that's what I want to just close with today. I I, want to talk to you how to reverse it. Because here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to jot down these couple things. That I think are so important. Number one. When stuff comes out of me, take notice and start the right fight. When I see those rats in the cellar, when I see something pop out, like the Apostle Paul, take notice, but let's make sure we fight the right fight. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Let me say it like this. I am responsible for my response, not others' responses. I'm responsible for what's in my heart, not what's in other people's hearts. I've got to start here. It's a fallacy. It is a fallacy to say that person makes me angry. It's a fallacy. If we become angry, listen, if we become angry, it's because we had anger already in us. If we become angry, it's already been there. And we allowed somebody to pull it out but no one makes us angry angry is not a person angry is some anger is something that resides in us it's in the soul we don't blame a moment of time we see it as it what it is it's something in me and this is what provoked it out of me paul's sarcasm in him paul's anger in him was provoked by a slap was provoked out when someone slapped him across the face and then boom, whitewash wall, you stink, this stinks. All of a sudden something comes out of him. It's, it's, it's like, it's like a, a water bottles. It's, it's, it's what's in there is, is fine, but all you have to do is get bumped a little bit. And that, that comes out. Was it, was it the bump that brought it? No, 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 no. It was already in there. It was just the, so Paul's anger's there. The slap is what began to make it even spill out. How do you fight those moments when you lose it of anger and rage? Let me just say this. Call it for what it is. Anger's a form of immediate revenge. That's what it is. You you choose to retaliate now Instead of trusting God to set it right on his, times, on his time basis, on his calendar, you choose to set it right. You choose to step in and go, I'll fix this. Instead of trusting it over to God. See, anger is impatient and wants retribution now. It wants the other person to feel your wrath, but that's not what Jesus did. When Jesus was being slapped, when Jesus was being, was, was being, just like the Apostle Paul, when Jesus was facing his Acts 23 moment, you remember what Jesus did? Peter reminds us. This is what he said. When he was verbally abused, 1 Peter 2, 23, when he, he, Jesus, was verbally abused, he didn't return with an insult when he suffered. He would not threaten retaliation. Jesus faithfully entrusted himself into the hands of God who judges Righteously. One paraphrase says it like this: they called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. I put it in God's hands right now. I let God take care of it. And let me let me tell you something from experience. God will use the same provokers to expose. And also to refine us. It's like getting the test over and over again. God going, I'm getting at something. I'm going deep. You're going like, why is this thing happening? It, it's, it's because he's getting at something. We don't like it when it comes out. We don't like it when we get bumped and something comes out. We're going, okay, all right, let's not see that again. God goes, no, 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 it'll keep coming until that thing gets let, let's dealt with. Remember what Oswald Chambers said in the very beginning he says this, he continued on to say, God never, never makes us wine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us with. If God would only, this is what he said, if God would only use his own fingers and make us broken bread and pour out wine in a special way, then it's all good. But when he uses someone who we dislike as the crusher, that's when we object. We want God to make us, remember, and Pastor Patrick talked about not just Romans 8.28, but Romans 8.29 about how we get conformed to his image. We want Jesus to conform us to his image. We don't want people to do that, especially people we don't like. <laughs> Why? These are the Sanhedrin. I'm the, I'm the apostle Paul. I'm the born again one. I'm the road to Damascus. I'm the, I'm the author of a good portion of the New Testament. You should be listening to me. And all of a sudden, boom, rats come up, loses it. At that moment, and God's going, Paul, I'm, I'm, I'm refining you. I'm getting something at you. That's why, can I just help you with something? You ready for this? Don't say that person bothers me. Say that person sanctifies me. Oh, yeah, don't say, they bother me. No, no, no. They're sanctifying me. We just don't like the hands that God is using to make us into the wine that he wants to use. He wants you to pass the test. And sometimes we'll leave you the same roommate the same work associate, the same neighbor, he'll leave all those folks until you graduate, until you pass the the slap test in Paul's incident. See, let me finish with this. But if and when you do blow it, God doesn't distance himself. God gets closer. That's what we see here. Losing it doesn't mean losing him. Remember Acts 23, 11? that night, the master appeared to Paul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 10th high school reunion and couldn't hold it together. That was his moment. That was his moment to tell them how to be born again. That was the moment to tell the Damascus road. He told the Damascus road experience at all different places in the book of Acts, but that was his moment. Those were his his old workmates, Sanhedrin. That night, the master appeared to Paul. It's gonna be all right, it said. Everything's gonna turn out for the best. You've been a good witness. You've been a good witness for me, seriously, Jesus? For me here in Jerusalem. I lost it. It's invincible future talk. Now you're going to be my witness in Rome. Folks, if if you have a Bible and you read that passage and and you're reading out of paper and, and ink in your Bible, it's one of the greatest red letter parts, I think, of the New Testament from Acts to Revelation. It's one of the, you have just once in a while You get a moment in in Acts. You'll get a moment in Corinthians. You'll get a moment in Revelation. All of a sudden, black letters, black letters, black letters. And then all of a sudden, a red letter. Jesus shows up. Jesus wants this. Jesus interrupts the writing and says something. And this was one of those special moments. It's one of the greatest red letters part of the New Testament where God interrupts and starts to speak. The great Puritan writer, Thomas Watson, said it like this. Satan doesn't tempt God's children because they have sin in them, but because they have grace in them. Had they no grace, he wouldn't disturb them. He says, does a thief assault an empty house? But he goes after the house where he thinks a treasure is. Why does the enemy seem to keep coming? Why does the enemy seem to Because he sees the grace of God inside of you. And God goes, let it come because I'm just refining my house. I'm just doing something special in there. Always remember, you may lose it, but you won't lose him. That's why, let me say it to you like this. My past is the reason that I presently know that I don't want a future without God. Let me say those words again. My past, whether it happened a few verses earlier, is the reason that I presently know now that I don't want a future without God. Listen, listen to the cry of David. Help God. This is Psalm 130, one through four out of the message. The bottom has fallen out of my life. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. If you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? But as it turns out, I love this, forgiveness is your habit. And that's why we worship you. God, God had every right with this lost and broken world to distance himself and retaliate because men and women, humanity wouldn't serve him. God had every right from Adam and Eve on, from the fall of man Men building idols and building towers and cursing God from not only from the beginning of time, but even to right now, God has every reason to back off and retaliate. Hallelujah. But he does the opposite. He loves us instead of deserting us. He draws closer to humanity instead of distancing himself far away from humanity. You may have, listen, you may have moved away from God, but God is so amazing. He's even moving closer to you today. He loves you. And you may say, I lost it, but I want to tell you, you haven't lost him. He loves you. He loves you. And some of you feel like my past, my irreversible past. Why would God even draw close? We see it right here. That night, the Lord stood with them. And right now, I want to believe the Lord to stand with you. You feel like your past has distanced you, has made it harder for God and brought you. But always remember this. God's not like us. Even when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. Can't deny who he is. Whoever you are, wherever you are, It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. You may say, I've used his name in vain. I said, I hated God. I'm angry with God. For those that are a Christian, you may have had your moment during this pandemic, during the civil unrest and the injustices that are happening all around that you've lost it. You didn't lose him if you're a Christian. And maybe you're listening and going, would God actually love me for what I've done? Would God actually want me? Would he want me in his family? Would he forgive me? can I even go to heaven with all that I've done? And I want to just tell you he didn't distance himself. He didn't retaliate. He got closer. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? 2000 years ago, God said, I'm going to get so close that I'm coming to this planet. We'll celebrate it. And it's called Christmas. It's when God came from heaven to earth and said, I'm coming, I'm getting closer to you. Why does he do that? Because he wants to bring us to heaven Pastor Tim, I want to be forgiven. I want an invincible future. But how do I have a future of forgiveness? And even when when life is over that I know I'm going to live eternally with God. It's probably the most important question you can never be asked in life. Is have you been born again? Pastor Tim, what what, what is that? It's It's not a Times Square church word. It's not a religious word. It's a Jesus word. Jesus tells the story in John chapter three. He says, just as you've had a first birth, you need a second birth. This is you have a birth date. You need a born again, a second birth date. That's what Jesus is talking about. The first time you were born physically, but it's the second time that you need to be born spiritually. Well, I thought I was forgiven and going to heaven because I've been water baptized. That's good, but that's not what Jesus said. Well, I've, I've been a good person. I, I, I commend you, but that's not what Jesus said. Well, I pay all the bills and I haven't hurt anyone. Those are great things. I have a label. I'm, 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 a, I'm Jewish. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a Muslim. I'm a, all those, you can use all those terminologies. That's not what Jesus said. He said in John 3, 5, you must be born again. In fact, he said, no one, no one, man or woman can ever enter the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It's as simple as ABC. Remember, he's getting close now. He's coming close to you right now. It's A, admitting I'm a sinner. Those, those, each of those letters, A, B, and C, represent a word. A, admitting I'm a sinner. Realizing it's when I get honest with God that all of us have a condition inside of us called sin. It's, it, it can't be fixed with promises to God can't be fixed with a program by by man. Is that a pastor that can fix it? Is that a book that you can read to fix what's going on inside of us? We need help to fix it. I'm broken inside. And that brokenness, the diagnosis is sin. And I have to admit, A, I'm a sinner. We're not mistakers in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We don't need a second chance. We need a second birth. That's what Jesus is talking about. Well, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? That's the B word, believe. Believing that God sent his son. God came close like he did in a prison for the apostle Paul. But now he comes close to humanity, to the planet, by sending his own son, Jesus. His son, Jesus, the son, to fix our sinful condition because I couldn't fix myself. If, If we could, if I could fix myself, then why would God put his son through the suffering that he did? Why would God say, just try better, be a good person, that will get you to heaven. If that was the case, then why would God have to even send his son down here? I couldn't get myself to heaven by being good. Jesus would have to come and die on the cross for me and be a sin bearer, take the penalty that I deserved. See, he died the death that I was supposed to die. He lived the life that I had no shot at living and gave us a reward that I didn't deserve. And finally, it's confessing him, the confess, not to a man, but confessing out loud, Jesus is Lord. That, that's a Romans 10, 9, and 10. Paul wrote about this. That word means boss. That means you're in charge now. You're, you're, you're the one. You're, you're the one I want part of my life. God, God didn't send Jesus to die on the cross to get you to, 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 to church. Jesus died on the cross not to get you to, for a Sunday, one day a week. That's religion. Religion is one day a week. Relationship is he gets every day of the week. Relationship means this, that that Christianity is coming to a person and not coming to a place because this pandemic has taken away the place. But right where you're at, you can come to a person. You can be born again right where you're at right now. Pastor Tim, I wanna do that. I've got so much junk going on in my life and I wanna just tell you today, I wanna to let you know today, you may have lost it, but you didn't lose him. He's coming close, right where you're at right now. He's there. Well, Pastor Tim, I, 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 I'd like to be born again. I'd like to take that, to, to, to start that journey today. But, but I've got so much junk, I'm not perfect, exactly. You don't need to be perfect, you just need to be forgiven. And today it could start. The journey could start. If that's you and you say, Pastor Tim, I want, I, want to, I want to pray that prayer. Wherever you're at, if you're sitting in a living room, a kitchen, a car, you're by yourself with a family. Maybe your father goes, we need to do this as a family. I'm going to ask you wherever you're at to pray a prayer with me, to start this journey. God's there. God's close right now. He's close. And if you're there right now, if you're able to, I want you to say these words out loud with me. And as soon as we say amen, don't just click off the phone or the laptop or the, turn off the TV. As soon as we say amen, Pastor David is going to come up and give you a great next step for this brand new journey, this brand new relationship with Jesus. But if you're, say, if you're there and say, I want to be born again, I want my life to start, I want to I be brand new today. It doesn't matter if you lost it, you don't have to lose him. God's faithful. Would you close your eyes and say these prayers, this prayer with me right now? Come on, say it, say it with me. Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it with me. God is my father. Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper and heaven is my home. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen.